0: You're listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M-Prize Bank. Coming up, the latest in sports betting from KC Sports Network, featuring Benny and the Bets, hosted by local media personality and betting aficionado, Benny Heisler. Let's get to the show.
1: Welcome in, everybody. It is Benny and the Bets, Ben Heisler with you, joined by a longtime New York Times bestselling author, Jeff Perlman, who is also the man behind the book, of Showtime, and now has been featured now in its second season over on HBO for Winning Time. Uh, Jeff, it's great to have you on the show because there's beyond the story of Winning Time and the evolution, and now that, of course, you're a big Hollywood star, which has been you know, years and years in the making and, and a lot of Substack posts and comments to, to really propel you to this point. Um, I was actually going through your, your Substack uh, a little bit earlier, and by the way, folks can check that out by going to jeffperlman.com. And I should also mention that this show uh, is presented by our good friends over at .pxj. I'm going through your, your sub stack and I see that there's this post that uh, you're just hanging on to this old baseball card uh, of some guy named Baumgarten. And I'm looking at it and going, I'm pretty sure I grew up going to high school and middle school with his son. So what a small world this
2: is. Wow. That is crazy. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. There were a couple of, I was a huge baseball card kid as a kid and I have this enormous bag like underneath a cabinet with like all these cards. Sometimes I look through because there's something about the baseball cards that gives you a sense of nostalgia. And that card, for some reason, I remember just loving, I don't know why, loving that card and thinking how weird it was. And it's also weird because then I Googled, I Googled him recently and there's nothing wrong with it because I certainly resemble this remark. he become like a baldy middle-aged guy and you kind of you got the gut you're kind of like you're like oh man i kind of want to remember him from 1981.
1: no i i respect the uh the hustle to be able to have on there and it's just baseball kind of brings worlds together one other thing that i saw on your subject that really kind of hit home for me was you had written a story about someone that you know young in the journalism industry it's might have been maybe from either a few months ago or a handful of weeks ago i'm trying to remember where it is that i found it um And you had reached out to several industry friends. And the the concept of the article was basically, what do I tell this person as journalism continues to be in this massive state of flux, transition? This is obviously a very talented person. And so you reached out to this vast network of journalists around the country. And I think it was Tom Rinaldi that said something that resonated with me and kind of how I ended up here. I'd been in journalism, sports media for almost 15 years. Um, And then a second layoff happened. And I found Kansas City Sports Network as something that I could pursue as a passion on my own time, on my own terms. And that was something that I think Tom Rinaldi said to the person that you wanted to reach out to was this is a moment for them to to finally be able to tell the story they want to tell while doing it on their own terms. And I just thought that even though it may not necessarily help in the short term, in the long term, to be able to have that power over something that you care passionately about, Uh, really resonated with me. So thank you for putting that together. And I thought it was a really, really fascinating read.
2: I wrote that for you. I actually knew I was coming on this show. And I wrote that and I thought, you know what? Kansas City, you know, I'm going to do this. I um, The truth is, I love journalism. It's given me this great experience in this career. And I, I was always around. This sounds, I didn't think of this at the time, but like, Journalism gave me a chance to be home and raise my kids. Like, I, you know, it's like I never, I never wear shoes. I literally am not wearing shoes. I <laughs> never wear shoes. I work out of coffee shops. So I, there's a TV show and I get to write. I'm doing a Tupac book now and I get to write about Tupac Shakur. Like, it's all this stuff that's awesome. And I, I want people to be able to experience that too. And it's just become so freaking hard, you know, as people lay off and as places close. And I mean, when I was coming up, Sports Illustrated was the dream. Like, the dream was to work for Sports Illustrated. And now SI is hanging on by a thread. And it just, man, it just sucks. It sucks.
1: As far as continuing to, to find that base, do, do you feel like the way in which you view journalism's future has changed? Or do you still kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like baseball in a sense. Like, there's a romanticism involved in it with, even though the game continues to evolve and change, it may not be the same as you remember it but at least the good parts I feel resonate as well. Is that how you feel about journalism, at least at this point, and the evolution of the industry?
2: I do, and I think um, one thing that's really, i so I teach out here as an adjunct at a school called Chapman, I teach journalism, and I do notice that one thing, people are doing, younger journalists coming up now are doing, and I think it's a mistake, is they're all emulating or trying to be going to the school of Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, loud, brash, quick tweets, fire off, this guy sucks, that guy's terrible, that guy's awesome, blah, blah, blah. And I really think now more than ever, what stands out is actually really good reporting, really dogged information seeking, having stuff that other people don't have. Because a million people, there, Steven Smith is a unique brand that is very one of a kind. There, there's only gonna be one, and there are only gonna be a handful of those, but there's still places that want good reporting and want good writing. And the other thing is you may have to start your career as I did in a small newspaper, you may have to... I always say to journalists, what should I do, young journalists? Apply everywhere. Apply to Danville, Illinois. Apply to Yorktown, New York. Apply everywhere. You may have to start small. That's okay. That's how you learn to report. So, I don't know.
1: Do you remember in those early stages of your journalism career, maybe the biggest wake-up call for you, whether it be a mistake that you learned from or a conversation with a professor or another writer that just something clicked in you and you said, okay, now this is all starting to make a little bit more
2: sense. All right. So I started my career at the National Tennessean in, in uh, 1994 out of college, out of University of Delaware. And I was cocky and I thought I was the man. And I was a, I was editor of my student newspaper and I was getting a starting 26,000 a year at this newspaper, major newspaper in Nashville. I thought I was a man. And um, then I kept screwing up. And I kept screwing up and i kept screwing up and i would have mistakes in my copy lazy stuff didn't report well all this stuff and one day after another screw up my editor Catherine mayhew called me into her office and at the time i was a music writer for the tennessee and so i was covering concerts it was great she calls me in. she said you made too many mistakes we're putting you on the police beat the late night cops beat you're going to sit at this desk you're going to listen to a police scanner you're going to respond to crimes and different things and you're going to get it who what where when how and why and i was angry and furious and thought I was done and it changed the nature of my career a million different ways
1: Wow and again it's it forced you to have to sit in and take everything in and you know I, sometimes I almost think too like I started in in late night radio um, at, at Sirius XM like understanding that those are actual true opportunities and connection points with people. You may not necessarily like the hours, it may not be good for your social life, but you will get better at your job because you're given a little bit more freedom to be able to take some more chances
2: and learn from it. Of course. And also I have to say like, um, one thing I learned from that moment, like I used to think I was like the shit. I was like, oh, I can write like this and I can do this and flourishes and blah, blah, blah. But that's not that special of a talent if it's even a talent, right? If you look at the great reporters and the great work out there, it's the, the, the attention to detail. It's calling a million different people. It's finding the stuff nobody else knows. Like That's what actually makes great writing. It's not about thinking you're a great writer and writing with pizzazz. It's about filling your thing with so much information and so much fresh material that people are blown away. And that, you, I, didn't, I didn't know that.
1: Do you feel like, and obviously you talked about the the new project that you have uh, about Tubak Shakur, and there's all these different parallels with musicians and athletes and the the storytelling involved in those is I, I think incredibly unique because of the parallels involved but we're also talking about radically different careers do you feel like your storytelling has to change for the the type of genre that you're covering or is it just no let me find the most interesting story wherever possible
2: so the reporting is basically call everyone right? Dig in and call everyone. That's that's That could be, no matter what you're writing about, I think that's a truism. Call everyone. Call the people nobody else has called. And then call the people they tell you you should call. So just call everyone. That's universal. The big difference for me, and I didn't see it coming in, is, so the book before this was about Bo Jackson, right? And I knew everywhere Bo Jackson was throughout his sports career because all I had to do was open the Auburn Media Guides, the Kansas City Royal Media Guides, the White Sox Media Guides, and it would tell me on this day, these three days, he's in Toronto. That on these three days, he's in New York. And with Tupac, I don't have that. And it actually is a bigger difference than one might think, where you're trying to figure out someone's life. But in sports, you always have the day-to-day schedule where they work.
1: Right, I have to follow up naturally on, on the Bo Jackson story. And again, we'll we'll get into to plenty of conversation. HBO's Winning Time is coming back this Sunday, August 6th, uh, debuting on uh, HBO for Season 2 at 9 p.m. Eastern as well as 9 p.m. Pacific. Winning time, The Rise of the Lakers' Dynasty. In season number two, so I was actually at the I was actually at Kaufman Stadium back on July seventeenth for Bo Jackson Day. Um
2: Bobble have a head right behind you. I was wondering, is that I
1: have, that is a uh, Salvador Perez one? I also have a Buck O'Neill one. Oh, very nice back here too. The the Bo Jackson one is at my my office downtown for for my for my day job. Uh So, sadly, I should have had it here. That was a mistake on my part. But wh- what do you what do you recall both of of your time? in visiting Kansas City, your sort of uh, understanding and connection to the city, and also uh, anything in particular from your time and experience in talking to Bo about his time here that also stood out to you?
2: Okay, a couple of things. Number one, I love Kansas City. And I remember when I was a – and I'm not just saying that. When I was a sports writer, I was at SI. I'm from New York, and I live in California. But I remember um, going to Kansas City to cover the Royals. The first story I ever did about the Royals, I think, was – I made an argument that they have the best outfield in baseball. And at the time, it was Jermaine Dye, it was Johnny Damon, and it was Carlos Beltran. And that was a great outfit. They had no pitching to speak of. But that team, Mike Sweeney at first, Carlos Fables at second, Ray Santos at short, Joe Randa at third. That was a good freaking team with zero pitching to speak of. And I remember being in Kansas City and calling my wife, who was trying my girlfriend at the time, and being like, we should move to Kansas City, Missouri. And she's like, No. <laughs> Our city is great. This is great. So I actually I have a very soft spot. I was back there not that long ago. I love Kansas City. Um, to be clear, just so you know, and I'm not upset you don't know this because you wouldn't know this, Bo did not Bo only talked to me one time for the book. He talked to me for about 40 minutes when I first reached out to him, and he basically spent 40 minutes telling me politely why he wouldn't talk to me for the book. So when that happens, you just dig and dig and dig and dig and dig deep in. And I got really into those Kansas City years. I mean, one of my favorite moments in the history of Bo Jackson and maybe in the history of sports is Bo Jackson's first ever game with the Royals. He's caught up after a pretty short stint in Memphis, double-A with the Chicks. His first game, 1986, I think September 2nd or 3rd, they're playing the Chicago White Sox. Hall of Famer Steve Carlton is on the mound. Bo Jackson literally has never heard of Steve Carlton. like he, he doesn't even know who he is. And Steve Carlton facing Bo Jackson, bunch of foul balls, bunch of foul balls. He hits a ball that Looks like it's a home run, but it goes over the foul ball. He finally hits the ball to second base and beats it out. And he beats out. His first hit is a grounder to second that he beat out. Behind home plate, all the scouts have their stopwatches. And Art Stewart, the Royal Scouting Director, looks at his, and he turns to the guy next to him. He's like, what'd you get? And he's like, mine, mine is off. I got it wrong. The guy's like, what'd you get? No, I got it off too. Art Stewart's like, I think it was, a, I got a 3 one six. And the other guy's like, I got a three, one, six. I got three, one, six. It's the second fastest recorded time ever from home to first by a right-handed hitter in his first at bat. And the only guy faster was Mickey Mantle. And I always say, there's no way Mickey Mantle was faster than Bo Jackson. They were probably using the stopwatches back then. They were like, tick, 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 has a foot, it put- it's all. <laughs> So Justin, his very first at bat, he did something preposterous.
1: I'm so happy that you brought up Art Stewart because that was an absolute gem of a human being. When I was working in radio, um, when I first moved out to Kansas City, we would do these weekly, sometimes even, I guess monthly segments, uh, now that I think about it, with Art just coming in studio and just nothing but those types of stories month after month, and he never ran out. And I, I love the story about him having the opportunity to take Gerard Dyson for the Royals with the the 50th round pick, uh, this speedster guy coming out of high school in the state of Mississippi, uh, and the only reason he took him is because he had an 80 on the 2080 scale scale speed. And that was a, he was an integral player in that World Series team in 2015.
2: I love that. I mean, you know, they drafted Bo Jackson in the fourth round and, um, cause they all assumed he was going he was, you know, he was the number one pick in the NFL draft by the Buccaneers and they all assumed he was just not going to go. And there's this line. Art Stewart says, they wait first round, they don't take him. They really want him. Second round, they don't take him. Third round, they don't take him. And finally, Art Stewart says, if we take him in the fourth round and he doesn't sign with us, the franchise will not collapse. And they took Bo Jackson and he signed with the Royals. It's
1: an amazing story. We're talking with Jeff Perlman uh, here on Benny and the Bets. We're going to take a quick break. Coming up on the other side, I want to continue to get Jeff's thoughts uh, about Kansas City in particular. Uh, with all the different athletes that he's had a chance to cover, where does sort of this legacy of, of Patrick Mahomes that he's building, where does it fit in the stratosphere of players that you've been able to see, whether it be in person, cover? Uh, because the, the type of demeanor that he has and his ability to connect with the fan base, while also being just this sensational winner here in town, uh, is pretty remarkable. So I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on that. We will also talk about season two of HBO's Winning Time. But first, before we do so, I do want to tell you guys about our awesome relationship with our new friends over at PXG. And this month in August, they're doing the PXG Gen 6 Driver Challenge, legitimately putting their money where their mouth is. There is no risk to you. Here's what you here's what you do. You go into your local PXG store. There's one right here in Overland Park in Kansas City. You're gonna bring in your current driver to the fitting. They'll even let you do older generation PXG drivers to warm up, get some swings in. Remember, the fitting pot, uh, process with PXG is all about the experience. Go in, work with somebody like Alex, who I had the opportunity to work to uh, work with, and get that feeling of what it's like to know the perfect feeling for having a club design that's going to fit your body, fit your type, and fit your swing. Get warmed up. You're going to ask your PXG master fitter, take five shots, your current driver. They're going to record the best three shots that you take using all their TrackMan tech. Then you'll get fit for the Gen 6 driver. And once you're fitted and ready, you'll take five swings with the custom fit Gen 6 driver at PXG. And then the best three shots will be measured with the TrackMan. Now, here's the, cat. Here's the deal. If your swing speed is in three miles per hour, No switch hitters here involved. If your driver outdrives the Gen 6 driver from PXG, they're going to give you a $100 MasterCard rewards card because their driver did not live up to the expectations that should be at the top of your list. Get custom fit. Right now, driver fitting at PXG is complimentary. Just go to the website, pxg.com. And for further details, pxg.golf slash PXG Gen 6 Driver Challenge info. You can find that right here in the description of the podcast below. Plenty more with our guy, Jeff Perlman, here on Benny and the with us.
0: Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. All
1: right, Jeff Perlman is with us, the longtime New York Times bestselling author, who you can check out his work in a wide variety of places. You can follow him on social media. And Twitter, I don't want to call it X yet, Jeff. Like I'm, I'm not prepared to call it X because it's just so dumb. But you can find him there, um, at Jeff Perlman, Instagram as well, Jeff underscore Perlman. Uh, but really the the website and the Substack is where you can go Perlman com. Um, are, are you prepared to to call it X, or is it just going to be Twitter forever for
2: you? I'm prepared to be an X of X. I uh, I got one foot out the door. It's it's become a cesspool. Of hell, I hate it. Yes.
1: Well, I agree with that, but I but I'm still waiting for what's going to be next. Like I thought, Spoutable might have a chance to be able to to work its way up. It's had to add some ups and downs. I don't know if I necessarily trust Zuckerberg to be able to deliver the product that's going to knock out X. So I'm with you. I'd I'd love to be able to walk right out the door. I'm just not sure when that opportunity will
2: come. Maybe uh, you can join the new uh, social media thread, Pearlman X, which I'm starting up. You have inspired me. I'm going to start it. You in?
1: Per, yeah, Perlman X. maybe maybe we go with like X Perlman? No, well Perlman X I think has a little bit of a nicer nicer ring to it. So okay, let's good. this is this is what we do. We talk things out and we're able to to have a and I
2: just want you to know everyone who signs up for Perlman X will get a free Michigan Panthers USFL throwback jacket.
1: Wow. So not only can you have an opportunity to get a hundred dollars Mastercard through PXG driver fitting, um, but a Michigan
2: Panthers jacket from the USFL, like this is what we do. We're just making dreams come true. I just yeah. want to say one thing real quick that i have to say to you yes during your commercial i was thinking i went to, i hate golf i don't play golf i'm terrible at golf i did a story years and years ago when i was a writer at Newsday. uh the us open was coming up and i said i want to immerse myself in golf for a month and then play beth page so for <laughs> one month for one month true story i practice lessons driving range all this stuff okay one month all in I played Bath Page, I jumped in with three people who had no idea, right, what was going on. I was like, Can I jump in with you guys? I wasn't allowed to take any gimmies, anything like that. I shot a 160.
1: <laughs> and you haven't and you haven't been back and you haven't had any I have
2: not played there. a moment of golf since.
1: That's incredible. I have not played Beth Page Black, but I would imagine this is somebody who loves golf. I don't know if I'd be that much better. That's okay.
2: 160?
1: Once yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe one thirty.
2: I wasn't even on crack at that point. So it was like inexcusably bad.
1: Right. Well, I also play the role where, you know, after triple, you, you stop keeping score. But that's yeah. probably a conversation for another day. So I, I do want to ask you about your thoughts on viewing Patrick Mahomes. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Sure. But obviously the show's coming into the, its second season. When they first had and broached the conversation with you that this was going to be something in the works, were you more open to sort of the the Hollywoodization, the television creation of your work, or kind of just letting them have a lot of this creative control? Or where were you in the process when they took the book and said, this is something that we want to be able to create this kind of magical show about?
2: Okay, true story. The year is 2014. I just wrote this book. I'm sitting at my home in New Rochelle. A screenwriter named Jim Hecht, whose main credit was Ice Age 2, says he wants to buy the rights to the book. He said, oh, come to my house. He comes to my house on Easter Sunday, 2014. We're Jewish, we don't celebrate Easter, no big deal. He comes to family dinner. He brings with him three things from Grand Central Station, a block of Baker's chocolate, a big ass tomato, and a bottle of imitation wine drink. We still don't know why he brought these three things. He shows up, I love your book, we wanna make it a thing, blah, blah, blah. I'd had other books options, but nothing ever came of it. So I was just like, okay, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a nice guy. I gave him the option rights to it for nothing, which you should never do. But I did. He calls me every now and then, ah, blah, this, that. I'm like, okay, whatever, blah, blah. This is going to happen, whatever. Sitting he's like, I'm telling you, HBO, one day he calls me. He says, Adam McKay wants to meet with us. He's a gym is really excited. Adam McKay wants to meet with us. I I hang up and I Google Adam McKay because I've never heard of Adam McKay. Adam McKay, who's done all these movies. All right, I go to his house. We meet at his house. I think this is great, blah, 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 HBO. I'm like, this is never going to happen. Still, I don't believe it. One day I'm home. A friend of mine sends me a link with the tagline, Holy S-H-I-T. Uh, John C. Riley agrees to star on star on show based on Laker book. A few days later, Sally Field added to cash for blah, blah, blah. A few days later, Adrian Brody. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And before you know it, there's a show on TV. My wife and I are extras in the first season. They're filming it in LA. I get money for every episode. It's a great show. My book all of a sudden is selling again. Like people are like, Are you upset with I'm upset with nothing? Right. This is like I won the lottery times a thousand. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I love the show. I think it's great. I understand the complaints. People say, well, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's a drama, it's a dramatic show. It is not a documentary. It's a it's a retelling of the time period. I'm a very happy man.
1: When I, I, so last year before this, this came out, I, I had a chance to, to have a conversation um, and, and talk a little bit about the show with uh, the guy who played Red Arbuck on the show. Oh, Michael. And was, yeah. Michael yeah. yeah. Chiglis. And, and that was wonderful. And you seeing some of the, the imagery of him in that role was incredible. And then I saw Quincy Isaiah. I saw what they did to, to John C. Riley to, to play Dr. Jared Buss. Um Even, Adrian Brody, it took me a little bit of time to kind of recognize that oh, Pat Riley asked to him. Like, because I'm so used to the Pat Riley of the 90s as a, growing up in Chicago as a Bulls fan and Pat Riley of now. Like, I needed to go back and be like, oh, oh, yeah. So with all the incredible work and also the, the basketball in the show is incredibly well done. Like, just the actual on-court play. Did anybody in particular kind of throw you as to how well they... They really crafted and took on that role.
2: I mean, it's cliche. By this point, it's become cliche. But the whole Quincy thing is remarkable. Like like Quincy, all right, this is what I love about the show. Quincy was a college football player at Kalamazoo College. He was a Division three, I think, college football player. He was a center. He was a big squat guy. They need to cast Magic. You think, how are they ever going to cast Magic Johnson? Like, that's impossible. He's so iconic. It's so well-known. And they nail it with this guy. He had no IMDb page. He did some community theater, I think, or college theater. And they nailed it, like nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. And this season, there's a ton of Larry Bird. And the guy that got to play Larry Bird is a guy named Sean Patrick Small. And Sean has become a good friend of mine. And he was a, he was a backup choice. Like Bo Burnham, the comedian, was slated to play Larry Bird, dropped out at the last minute. Oh, I didn't know that. That thing. Yeah. Sean is so good. And this is the best thing. This is a true story. A couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, um, I played pickup basketball every Saturday morning. We have a good rundown here. And Sean has been talking about coming. It comes down to play. And he's 6'4"-ish. He was a good high school player in the Bay Area. But he shoots exactly like Larry Bird. And he said what happened is, in training for the show, they reinvented his shot. So when you watch him release the ball, he has the high Bird release now. He shoots just like Bird. He's not as good as Bird, but he's really good. But the whole being in the show experience turned him into a Larry Bird clone.
1: I appreciate the fact that you you had felt compelled to mention like, Hey, this guy's pretty good at basketball. He's not Larry
2: Bird. He's not Larry Bird. He might be uh Kurt Heinrich. You know, he's okay. He's good.
1: And so I, I remember the, the initial scene from, from Sean Patrick small with Larry facing off against Matt towards the end of season one. I was like, Oh, this is, that's another really, really good. one. I, what I'd love, what I also love too, is that as Larry kind of evolved throughout his years in Boston, the, the accent became less and less pronounced, that, that French look accent from, from Indiana. Yeah. But I, I remember there's a story from somebody I might have been from Dan Bernstein in Chicago, where he was talking about that original commercial that he filmed with Michael, uh the Gatorade commercial. It was in the Gatorade or McDonald's, and they had to make Larry do like all these different takes over because nobody could understand what the hell he was saying. Mumbling.
2: He was a yeah,
1: mumbler. Just completely mumbling throughout the entire thing. Um, so just even the voice and the tone of the early Larry Bird days was something that I appreciated and enjoyed. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know we only got a couple minutes left, so I do want to get you your thoughts. We talked yeah. about your time in Kansas City and how you even were considering Kansas City at one point until your wife or your girlfriend at the time said, so, eh, "Not right now." I will tell you a that hard, it was Yes, hard. Um, but from even watching afar, um, somebody that's really transcended the city in the way that Tra- uh, that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey has, and even Andy Reid to a certain extent. Um, do you? I don't want to say is there a comp for somebody like Mahomes, but when you see him play, when you see him interact with this fan page, when you see the amount of growth that he has created both locally, nationally, now internationally, what, what comes to mind for you?
2: I'll tell you exactly what comes to mind to me. I was raised a New York Jets fan, and the only reason I'm a New York Jets fan is because when I was six and my brother was eight, he picked the Giants, and I said, okay, I'll be a Jets fan. My brother has not watched a single football game since. He would not recognize Lawrence Taylor or Eli Manning if they walked down the street. Meanwhile, I get saddled with this sad sack piece of crap franchise. Mahomes, I mean, our best quarterback ever is a 38-year-old guy who hasn't played a game yet. That's our best quarterback in Jet history, probably is going to be Aaron Rodgers. And you get Mahomes. He is preposterous in all ways. First of all, he's just gifted beyond gifted. I'm telling you stuff you know, but like also like, insanely likable and embraceable and, like, seems like a really nice guy and, like, plays through pain, obviously, as he did in the Super Bowl. I don't have any cup. He reminds me of, like, a pitcher who comes along and throws, like, some pits no one's ever seen, like, this sidearm screwball thing that's funky and weird delivery. He's a God's gift to freaking Kansas City. I was out when I was out there. Everyone was just talking about Mahomes, Mahomes, Mahomes. And, like, and he's likable. Like, he's not a jerk. He's likable. It's just preposterous how lucky you guys got and meanwhile we, we drafted Zach, Zach Wilson number two overall only three years after drafting Sam Darnold also high up in the draft Listen, I, I'm,
1: I've am i been fortunate to live here for almost 10 years I'm a Chicago Bears fan grew up in the Chicagoland area it's um, a Mitch Trubisky uh, ahead of Patrick Mahomes and even moved up
2: from no, three to two no, no do not try comparing you've had two Super Bowls in your lifetime I've had well, not I, my lifetime well, you're in my lights I was born '88.
1: <laughs> I don't know. We were out.
2: And you're young. Stop
1: it. Yeah. Either way, Jeff, great stuff. Really enjoyed the conversation. Please pick up a copy of Just Book Showtime, Magic Cream Riley, and Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s. Also, check out season two of Winning Time: The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty this upcoming Sunday, August 6th on HBO. This was a blast, Jeff. Really appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks so much for hopping on Benny in the bets today. We appreciate it.
2: When the Jets acquire Pat Mahomes in a trade a year from now, call me back okay. up.
1: Peronious. Yeah. Peronious.
0: Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU,